Good morning, Access. Um, my name is John. I serve as one of the pastors here. Thanks for joining us today. This past week has been a difficult one for many people in the Asian American community. Uh, we heard about the atrocious uh, shootings in Atlanta on Tuesday, and that's followed a, a years-long rise in anti-Asian speech and actions and violence um, during the pandemic. And so many of us are dealing with feelings of grief, fear, sadness, and anger. And at the same time, I know that there are people who are still figuring out what they feel, and what they think about this. As a church, we are committed to being a people, God's people, striving for unity in diversity. And unity is uh, something deep and hard fought. We must remember that. Unity means we carry one another's burdens and pain. And so this morning, before we begin the message, I wanted to invite all of us, whether Asian or non-Asian, to join in this collective lament one way in which we carry each other's burdens and show solidarity with one another. So would you join with me in praying? How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord, will evil appear to triumph over good? How long, O oh Lord, will we dehumanize one another? How long, O oh Lord, will we knock down our elders and shed the blood of our sisters? How long, O oh Lord, will we see our Asian kin as perpetual foreigner, foreigners, viral incubators, voiceless scapegoats, or dispensable objects? How long, O oh Lord, until we learn to love our neighbor and stand with the hurting? How long, O oh Lord, until your kingdom comes on earth as in heaven? How long, O oh Lord, until your church embodies your heart, your justice, your righteousness, your crucified and risen life? How long, O oh Lord? God, this morning we posture ourselves before you. We are in need of your grace and your hope and your comfort. Lord, I pray that you would speak to me through your spirit and um, lead us, God. Lead us during these times. Help us to turn towards you, our hope and our Savior. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, I have a confession to make. I'm an angry person. At least that's what my therapist told me. You see, a while back, I was meeting with a therapist and he made some remarks, an observation that caught me off guard. He said to me, John, 
you're a very angry person. And immediately in my mind, I, I thought to myself, what? Like, I'm the most gentle and least angry person I know. And so I, I said to him, I'm, I'm confused. And he said, you know, you're not the kind of angry person that just lashes out in a fury and a rage. You're the kind of angry person that takes your anger and buries it deep, deep down so that no one can see it, not even yourself. And I sat there and I listened. I took a deep breath because I could feel myself getting angry <laughs> at what he had just said. And because I also knew that what he was saying was, was true. He was speaking the truth in love. If you've recently joined us, um, we've been in a series where we're looking at Ephesians chapter four, really closely, just taking it verse by verse and mining it for its wisdom especially as it applies to the topic of spiritual friendship. Spiritual friendship is different from just regular friendship, your run-of-the-mill friendship, in that it's not so much based on affinity or shared interests. It's friendship that is marked and baptized by the Spirit of God. And when that happens, it leads to speaking the truth in love. It leads to working so that you have something to share and give to those in need. It leads to friendship that spurs on the presence of God's spirit. Today, we're gonna to look at Ephesians chapter four, verse 31, in order to consider the impact of anger on our spiritual friendships and in our lives. My hope that is that through this message and through God's word, we might learn to think a little bit differently about anger. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, this verse is loaded with a bunch of words that form a family of uh, ideas, emotions, and actions. So you might think of them as a cluster or a family of angry things. Bitterness, rage, and anger, these are deep, intense emotions. Brawling and slander, these are violent actions and words designed to injure others. Every form of malice, this is a catch-all phrase that for all the things that we might do when we're angry and out to hurt someone. If you listened last Sunday to Pastor Ted's message, you'll recall that this isn't the first instance in which, in chapter four, that Paul brings up the topic of anger, which is from the Greek root or gay. The same root word appears in a few verses before. In verse 26 of chapter 4, Paul writes, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. 
even though in combination these are only three short verses, they have much to say to us about anger. And the first is that being angry isn't a sin. Sinning is a sin. Now that might sound extremely obvious, but I think it's worth highlighting for two reasons. First, because in verse 26, Paul distinguishes between anger and sin. And secondly, because I believe many Christians have been taught explicitly or implicitly that a good Christian doesn't raise their voice, doesn't get angry or mad. So let's look at the first point more deeply, that verse 26 distinguishes between anger and sin. In the NIV, it says, in your anger, do not sin. Uh, Quite literally, though, the language is be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. In other words, you can feel angry, really angry. Your heart rate can skyrocket, your jaw and your fist can clench. You could be really ticked off and still not sin. Sin is what you and I do with that anger. It's the road rage that follows when someone cuts you off. It's the lashing out at your kids or your spouse or your pet because your boss was being a jerk at work. It's you being a jerk because your stomach is growling and you feel extremely hangry. It's the racially motivated acts of violence against elderly Asian people because life has been especially tough and people are looking for a scapegoat. There are unconstructive and even deconstructive ways of dealing with our anger. And then there are constructive ways, which we'll talk about at the end of this message. But for now, I want us to remember that anger in itself is not a sin. It's what we choose to do with it that matters. Now, let me address the second point, that we've been socialized around the belief that anger and a whole slew of other negative emotions, for that matter, aren't okay to feel. Uh, Does any of this sound familiar to you? Uh, When I was a kid growing up, we would drive really far to go to our church, about a 40-minute drive. And that was long enough for petty arguments to turn into all-out, like, all-out war. And I was always, I always noticed how as soon as we parked in the parking lot of the church. It was as if like just magic happened. It was like you got out of the car and whatever anger or whatever, you know, disagreement or arguments that were happening is like all of a sudden that just evaporated. And it's like you put on your, put on your happy face and you just fake it till you make it. And I also just wondered to myself, what just happened? And the message that I, I learned from those kind of repeated experiences was that it's not okay to be angry at church. You have to be happy. You have to pretend like everything's fine. And yet I would contend that the that the Bible, that the Bible makes plenty of room for anger. There is even what we might call righteous anger. Uh, we see this in Jesus. Famously, he goes into a temple. He sees a bunch of people turning what was supposed to be a sacred place at the temple a place to connect with God, 
into an exploitative marketplace where there was price gouging and taking advantage of the poor and those who were needing to make sacrifice as part of their worship. In Matthew 21, it says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. These are not the actions of someone calmly turning over tables like, and gently putting them down on the ground. Uh, he wasn't saying, you know, come on, guys, you know better than that, better than this, you know, let's not do this. No, Jesus was angry. I think he was even a little bit furious uh, at what was taking place in the temple. Of course, we sometimes edit out those parts of scripture that make us uncomfortable. And yet, if we read the Old Testament and the New Testament, we'll see that there are themes of God's anger. There is a place for God's anger. In Nahum 1-2, we see the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. Multiple Old Testament verses describe God as being slow to anger. For example, Numbers says that the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. The sense in that phrase, slow to anger, is that God doesn't just suddenly explode into an out-of-control fit of rage, but that God uh, is long-suffering and there's a long wick before God becomes angry, but he does get angry. God gets angry at sin and rebellion and those who will oppose uh, his will. In the New Testament, there are verses like the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Revelation, the very end of the Bible, says, speaks of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. J.I. Packer provides a very helpful summary of God's anger and wrath. He says, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. If we are made in God's image, and we are, and if God in God's perfection and holiness rightly feels anger and wrath, then there is a right and even healthy place for these feelings within us. I alluded uh, at the beginning of this message to some events, incidents that recently made national news. Elderly Asian people being viciously attacked at random as they walk, you know, knocked down, punched in the face, murdered. Uh, and then on Tuesday night, which was a sort of collective breaking point for the Asian American community, our news feeds broke with the news of a young man in Atlanta who had murdered eight people, six of whom were Asian women. When I read and watch these things, I feel disgust. I feel so much anger. 
And these are right emotions. These are right feelings to this, this kind of injustice, this kind of hatred and senseless violence. That is appropriate. And I would even dare say to not feel anything, to just feel numb, um, can even, not necessarily, but it can even be a sign of a callousness or a hardness of heart that has happened. I think that is very possible. We just get so overwhelmed by everything that's happened that we just stop feeling. But to feel anger in the face of evil is a righteous response. Because I actually believe God's commitment to justice and righteousness in life mean that, means that God is grieved. God is angered. If one of my kids comes home and tells me that someone has hurt them or that uh, he's been bullied by a, a, like a, uh, at the playground by another kid, I will rightly feel anger. And that's out of my desire to protect my child. That's out of my desire to not see my child feel pain or be hurt. And so anger in itself is not sin. And there are different forms of anger, even righteous anger. And still, as we look closely at Ephesians chapter 4, we can quickly see that anger is a powerful force and potentially dangerous. We must handle with care. And that is why in verse 31, Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now again, if we hear that phrase, get rid of, as don't ever get angry or ever have bad emotions, then I think we're missing the point. Because in order to get rid of something, you have to first turn towards it. Only then can you touch it and hold it and safely remove it. Anger is a natural reaction to fear, injury, pain, hurt, betrayal, disappointment. And if we try to ignore it or suppress it or pretend it's not there, it won't go away on its own. And in fact, it just starts to pile up. It starts to fester. And then other stuff begins to hide in it and attach to it. Rodents and roaches make a home in it. And I think this is what Paul means when he writes, don't let the sun go down. Let, don't let the sun go down when you're angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Other translations say, do not make room for the devil. Don't give, give no opportunity for the devil. Don't provide an opportunity for the devil. And so our unresolved, our unresolved and our unaddressed anger becomes a, a hiding place, a breeding ground for the devil to hook in his fangs and to begin to poison our souls with anger, bitterness, and malice. And not only our souls, but our relationships. Those of you who have been married a while, you know, have you ever gotten to a heated argument over something extremely trivial? And it's because a bunch of stuff that's been swept under the rug suddenly gets exhumed, dug up, and it all comes gushing out. I think this is what my therapist was trying to tell me 
by not dealing with my anger, by bearing it, I was allowing it to damage my soul and my relationships. And I needed to turn towards it and deal with it. That meant acknowledging my anger. That meant talking to God about my anger. That meant forgiving and letting go. So in other words, that means turning towards my anger, not away from it, and then bringing it before the presence of God. That is how we get rid of our anger. Let's acknowledge a reality that between the stress of this pandemic that has just dragged on and on, between the devolving political landscape, between the persistent and diverse manifestations of racial unrest and brokenness, between the loss of loved ones and plans and celebrations, there is much that we can feel anger towards. And so we need constructive ways of dealing with it. Um, I wanna offer a couple practical tips. This is by no means an exhaustive list. I'm sure you have other ways of dealing with your anger that are healthy. And I hope we can share them with each other. But here are a few tips. First, let's know that anger is a very bodily emotion. And so it helps to get physical when we feel angry, to take a walk or to go for a run. Uh, in the wake of what happened this past week, some friends chopped wood, others did yoga. Uh, so, you know, sometimes we think that the Christian response to everything is to read the Bible and pray more. But sometimes the most spiritual thing we could do is to lace up our shoes and hit the pavement. So get physical. Secondly, and related to this is if possible, uh, ask for a long hug. Uh, ask for a long hug. Uh, 20 seconds seems to be uh, the significant number, the magic number based on some research that uh, a long extended hug can actually release chemicals in our brain that help us to physically feel better and to deal with our anger and stress. Uh, learn to say the words, I'm really angry because. Learn to say, I'm really angry because. That's a form of acknowledging and not suppressing our anger. And then learn to say, God, God, I'm really angry. God, I'm really angry because of what's happening. God, I'm really angry because I'm so disappointed that this, this happened. Be, be able to bring these negative emotions before God. And then if your anger involves another person, when you've calmed down, circle back as necessary to finish the conversation. Recently, something happened with one of my kids where I got quite angry. Um, there was some trust broken and I was, I was mad. Uh, all the classic indicators, I was, you know, my heart rate was going up. My voice was getting louder. I felt my body tense up. And so what I did is I went to the sink and I began to drink like three cups of water. That's what I like to do when I feel angry. I like to drink water. Um, and when I, uh, I, so I backed off and when I had calmed down later that night, he and I talked. And 
I was able to express why I was angry and reaffirm my love for him. And he was able to apologize and we were able to reconcile. Spiritual friendships, whether between peers, um, uh, spouses, parents and children, they take hard work. Sometimes we get angry at one another and we love each other imperfectly and that's okay. There is a place for anger, but we have to be very careful with it. We have to learn how to deal with it in constructive ways, not to let it fester, but to turn towards it and then to bring it before God. Let's take a moment just to sit with what the Spirit of God might be saying to us this morning. What does God want you to know today about your anger, about your state of soul? So I'm going to give us about 30 seconds just to quietly reflect and let's take this moment to pray. Let's say our sending prayer together. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us towards joy and generosity in Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus.